Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews, author interviews and book reviews. How are you all doing? Are you okay? Well, I've just returned from the A&E ward of a local hospital. I had a phone call the night before to say a child had had an accident in basketball. Fallen heavily, I think was the phrase. And what the person actually meant was they could have broken something in their knee. That's not falling heavily to me. That's just cataclysmically awful anyway. The situation had not improved by this morning, so went to the hospital. Obviously, I packed a bag full of books because I didn't know. It was my daughter and she was saying, why have you packed so much stuff? And I said, well, what happens if we're here for, you know, 10 hours? What if you need an operation? Obviously, focusing on the positive. I didn't even get one book out. That's how short a time we were there for. But but never mind. All, all's fine. Well, damaged but no breakages. So that's something to be grateful for. But what we do have to be grateful for today are some great books. So today isn't quite... Well, it hasn't gone to plan, obviously, with A&E visits. But also this podcast isn't what I had planned. Basically, one author that I was going to interview has had to jet off to Hollywood as you do, and can't join us. So there's had to be a bit of reshuffling. So this might not be a normal episode, but then, as you know, what is what is normal where Philippa is concerned? So I am reviewing this week Bleeding Heart Yard by Ellie Griffiths, Sundial by Katrina Ward, With a Mind to Kill by Anthony Horowitz, This Much is True by Miriam Margoyles, and... The Senate magazine. And you may say, what on earth is that, Philippa? And I'll say, I'll tell you in a bit, but it's really good. And I'm quite excited about this. Anyway, let's get into it. So originally, Katrina Ward was going to come on for the full interview and tell us all about her book, Sundial. And in the meantime, Ellie had agreed to come on and do the five questions in five minutes. So I'd recorded that early with Ellie because she was off going away. After recording that with Ellie, it then turned out that Katrina had had to jet off to Hollywood oh so suddenly and couldn't do the interview in time. If I'd known that, of course, I'd have talked to Ellie for much longer. Uh, We certainly overran the five minutes, but I would have talked to Ellie much longer if I had known. So apologies for that. But uh, let me tell you about Senate. So Senate is a board games magazine. And when I say magazine, it sounds like it's all just, I don't know, photos of board games. 
games, but it's not. There is so much writing in it and it's all about new games coming out, older games, games that haven't been played before, people behind the games. It's fascinating. It's one that I started getting a few years ago and and for some reason I stopped. I need to get back into it. But I just I had intended to talk to Dan um, from Senate magazine and because we had the sort of issues today with authors, Dan very kindly agreed to come on the podcast earlier than expected and it's just it's fascinating. I could have talked to him for many hours and asked him for all sorts of board game recommendations. He does give some, uh, which is great. But uh, yeah, I could talk to him much longer. But anyway, there you go. That's a podcast. Chaos and calamity is raining today, but we are coping and we are gliding through serene and all is well. So Let's get started. The first book, Bleeding Heart Yard, Ellie Griffiths. Now, some people on the Facebook group for this podcast were reading this book. Last time we all checked in about what books we were reading. Uh, So this is very exciting. Let me read you the blurb. A murderer hides in plain sight in the police force. DS Cassie Fitzherbert has a secret, but it's one she's deleted from her memory. In the 1990s, when she was at school, she and her friends killed a fellow pupil. Many years later, Cassie is happily married and loves her job as a police officer. One day, her husband persuades her to go to a school reunion and another ex-pupil, Garfield Rice, is found dead, supposedly from a drug overdose. As Garfield was an eminent MP and the investigation is high profile, it is headed by Cassie's new boss, D.I. Harbinder Kaur. The trouble is, Cassie can't shake the feeling that one of her old friends has killed again. Is Cassie right? Or was Garfield murdered by one of his political cronies? It's in Cassie's interest to skew the investigation so that it looks like the latter. And she seems to be succeeding until someone else is killed. Right, let's go to the prologue for your first few sentences, Cassie. Is it possible to forget that you've committed a murder? Well, I'm here to tell you that it is. Not entirely, obviously, but day to day, it just doesn't register. Pete and I even had a phase of going to murder mystery parties. We'd get all dressed up and go to a friend's house and act out a script. I'm going to leave it there. I could keep reading that for a while. Oh, come on. You know I'm a huge fan of Ellie Griffiths. I don't know anybody who isn't a fan of Ellie Griffiths. She just writes amazing books that captivate us and this one was just another example of that. Yes, it's third in the series with um, Harbinder in it but you don't have to read them at all in order. In fact, read this one and then if you like it, as I'm sure you will, then you might think, oh, I'll go back and read the other ones too. But It's just, it's a good mystery. You're kept guessing. The characters are vibrant. It's interesting. It keeps you riveted. The girl can write. And we're not jealous of that at all, are we? No. Anyway, let's go and talk to Ellie. So Ellie Griffiths, whose latest fabulous, wonderful book is Bleeding Heart Yard. Welcome back to the podcast. Oh, hello, Philip. It's lovely to be back. It's very, very lovely to have you here again. Now, we're going to put you on the spot with a few questions here. The first one, can you describe this book in less than a minute? 
Habindakor moves to London. Her first case involves a dead politician at his school reunion. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's amazing. <laughs> yes. I don't know how long that was. It felt quick. <laughs> that was seconds. Yes, that was that hey. was great. And it, it's it's one of those where you just I kept thinking, oh, I know who's done it and I know what happened. And, and yet I didn't. I got the big. Oh, I'm so surprised. I'm so glad. I'm so glad because it is quite an exciting thing, really, to write a book. Because obviously I've written a long series about Ruth and um mm. The Brighton Mysteries too, which are books where you basically have a reliable narrator. I mean, Ruth isn't going to turn around and say, look, I killed all those people. Maybe <laughs> she is, I don't know. But no, she's not. Um, but, you know, writing a standalone, in, and I'm sort of seeing it as a standalone, although Harbin Decor is the detective in it. Um, you can make people as unreliable as you like, and that's so much fun. You call it a standalone, and it is. You don't need to have read any other books to read this and enjoy it. And yet, it, the first one in the series, uh, Stranger Diaries, and from and from that, did you know when you were writing that first book that were you sort of twirling your moustache going, ha, 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 you know, you knew you had a coming plan? No, not really at all. So Stranger Diaries, yes, was my first standalone, and I'd had it... You know how these things percolate in your mind for, for a long time and I'd wanted to write a kind of gothic novel and I just had to sort of hit on a way of writing a gothic novel that wasn't historical and then I hit on this idea of having a, a book about um, a made-up Victorian ghost story writer whose house was now a, a school. So that was the idea about that. So then a murder happens and in comes the detective, in comes Harbin Decor and I think one of the first things she says is, let's assume I'm in charge. And I thought, oh, OK, hello. Um, but I thought maybe people wouldn't like her because she's quite sort of acerbic. She's quite, um, she says what she thinks. She's quite tough. Oh, she's fun to write, really fun to write. Um, mm. But people really did like her. And so I thought, oh, this is nice. And I loved writing about her. So Postscript Murders was another standalone. Obviously, I'm not that good at standalones. About a group of, of elderly people who, who tried to sol solve the crime, uh, 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 tried to solve the murder of a friend of theirs, a lady who has the rather strange job of being a murder consultant. And again, in comes the detective and, hey, it's Harbinder. So uh, I thought, well, in the third book, in Bleeding Heart Yard, um, Harbinder up to now, she's been... Um, living in uh, in Shoreham in, in West Sussex. Uh, she lives with her parents, age of 35. She's just come out to them. Um, so I thought maybe in this book she would get a promotion, move to London and kind of start a new life. Yes, and it it's just wonderful to read. She's a, a great character and there's, obviously there's there's murder and intrigue, but there's also humour in this book. I, I did find myself laughing at... at observations uh, rather than funny situations. I'm so glad. And you said that before, Philip, and I love it that you picked that out of the books because, um, you know, I, 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 love any, I love any good review. I'm very grateful for any good review. But quite often people don't mention that they're funny and I hope they are funny. And I hope mm. there are certain things like when Harbinder looks at her new Sergeant Jake, who's one of those men who stands with his legs wide apart to look macho and makes a comment about that. I hope people are kind of smiling. So that's great to hear. <laughs> OK, your next question. In this book, Bleeding Heart Yard, who is your favourite major and your favourite minor characters? Oh, well, I'm going to put aside Harbinder because she's kind of a returning character. Um, I really liked writing about Anna Vance, who's one of the three people who has a, um, 
a first-person uh, narration in this book. Uh, and Anna, I, I, I just feel like I, I would have known her at school. I think she might have been a bit cool for me at school, but I kind of like her. She's a, she's a woman from, from a, a working-class background who goes to a comprehensive school, but it's one of those comprehensives that, that's full of sort, of sort of pop stars' children and things like that, of which there are some in London. Um, and so she feels kind of out of place, but she never feels inferior. She's She's got a sort of inner life, and I really liked writing about that. And like me at school, she's a diarist and someone who's always trying to write stories. Um, so I really like writing about her. My favourite minor character is probably Kim, and she is uh, Harbind, one of Harbinder's new sergeants. And she's an older woman, um, a Londoner. She has that kind of local knowledge. Um, but I think um, I think she and Harbinder get on very well because... Kim is kind of no nonsense and she has a kind of humour I think that Arbinda really gets and also she knows all the best sandwich places in London so Arbinda's really enjoying working with her so I really I really liked Kim yeah I was just gonna say if someone knows you know where to get a good sandwich they're they're in my team I just think yes that's uh, great to know yeah I love that. My, my, my cousin Sergio in Rome, he always knows the best place to go to eat. And, and like in London, they're not always the places that look grand. And sometimes Sergio marches us past a beautiful looking restaurant with nice tablecloths and says, come here, this is the best pizza. And he's always right. <laughs> Your next question. What do you want us to feel when we're reading this book? Oh, what a great question. Um, I think involved. I want I want uh, uh, readers to sort of feel involved <laughs> yeah. with it and want to know what's going to happen next. Um, and occasionally um, on edge, a little, a little nervous. But really, I want that kind of sense of um, satisfaction. I think that's the one word that comes from, uh, I hope, a crime novel where there are all the clues, um, not necessarily in the right order, but there are no, all the clues are there. But I hope at the end there is a slight shock, um, but not the shock that feels, oh, I've, you know, I've, I've been double crossed. I could never have guessed that. But the shock that feels like, oh, yeah, that's what it was. That's what I hope. Yes, it's always books for me that in the final chapter produce a relative that they haven't mentioned in the whole 400 pages that drive me batty. I have yes, or something that you just couldn't have known or, or a confession in a letter that you couldn't have known. Yes, I hope there's, there's nothing of that in here. Everything is there. All the clues are here. Yet I hope it is a bit of a shock. Now, your next question, and this is a very important one. When you were writing this book, what food and drink were you consuming? What powered this book? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I have a little rule with myself because I work in, in a writing shed in the garden, um, which is why I'm talking to you today. And the rule is no food in the shed. So I, I never bring food with me into the shed. Um, I, I don't know why, really, but I, I kind of don't want food and crumbs around my shed. Um, I do have a little, actually, I do have a little a pot of fox food, which I had some fox cubs earlier in the year and I used to feed them. Obviously, I didn't eat that. But I have a coffee machine and I drink quite a few cups of black coffee during the day. So if I, if I need food, I go down into the house, but no food sullies my shed. Gosh, so is food a reward when you finish writing as much as you need to? You're that disciplined that then you're allowed to go into the house and actually eat? Not really. I tend to just go down when I'm hungry, which, you know, is a few times a day, really. I don't really see food as a reward, I don't think. 
Um, certainly, sometimes my six o'clock glass of wine is a bit of a reward. But food, not so much. But no, I do just trot down. Um, it gives me a chance to sort of trot up and down the garden. But no, I'm si- I guess I'm slightly funny about food, really. I don't necessarily... Um, like I, I certainly don't like to think I don't know I just don't like to think of food being in the shed and food being near my computer I just don't don't like that it's interesting isn't that I never thought about that before but it works so why not just yeah. uh, yes 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 I suppose maybe I do it's probably sort of about sort of five o'clock I'm thinking oh you know I can have supper soon and a glass of wine so maybe in that sense it is a bit of a reward no that's very interesting because a lot of authors have are are powered by food and often each book has a different sort of food that's so so interesting no and I think in some senses that I'm in this sense only maybe I'm a bit of an aesthete because also no sound so no 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 music no radio I work total silence um couldn't ever have any background noise either because I know some writers and I find this really interesting and fun to hear about when they have a a certain bit of music that that for and it could be different for each book and of course it seems very clever to me because if you lose the mood of the book you just have to play that bit of music and you get the mood back but but no it's it's silent here it's silent no food there is coffee though it sounds like you're on a retreat or in a monastery or something it does but you know some of my happiest memories are of childhood retreats I went to a catholic school and we went on retreat and um I always used to write when I was on retreat so you might have hit something there we there. go just call me psychic Philippa <laughs> psychic Philippa absolutely I fact, when I was on retreat um a place called Maryvale in uh, Surrey was when I first developed that ghost story that's the ghost story in the Stranger Diaries. Oh, wow. So silence is very important for you and your writing. Silence is important, yeah. There we go. That's that's the thought for the day. Um, Your last question, what's been the most memorable moment so far in your writing career? Oh, wow. That's another great question, really. There have been so many, really. And obviously, like, like so many writers, the first... The first book, the first time I had a book published was, was actually um, under my real name, which you know is Domenica De Rosa, and the book was called The Italian Quarter. So when I saw that, that was just absolutely incredible. I got my first number one bestseller this year with The Locked Room, Ruth 14, and that was pretty special, I have to say. The last two books had been number two, which of course is wonderful, and I was very happy with that, she says through gritted teeth. <laughs> but I was also very, very happy to hit number one this year, so that was a great moment. But really, I have to say, also winning The Dagger in the Library was was another terrific moment. Um, uh, you know, such a, felt like such a great accolade. Um, but actually, partly, it is just those those many moments where you meet people who actually say to you, you know, my books have really, your books have really helped me, you know, and particularly after lockdown, sometimes people say, you know, mm. your books kept mm. me company. And I, I think those, if, if you put all those together, those are the best moments. Well, those are some wonderful moments so far. And yes, we look forward to more memorable moments. <laughs> now, before you go, we do just need to talk Ruth for a few minutes, if you don't mind. Listeners may or may not know that there's been a bit of an announcement because there's a Ruth book coming out in February. So, Ellie, could you tell us more? Yes, so there's a Ruth book out in February. I think it's the 2nd of February. And it's called The Last Remains. And, of course, there's a clue in the title. Incidentally, there's often a clue in the title. Um, and, And I've said it will be the last Ruth book for now. 
So I'm really not saying that, that they're never, ever going to be another Ruth book. But this book, I think it brings this part of Ruth's story to a close. And you will possibly get the answers that you've been wanting in the last 15 books. You will get them in the last remains. I don't think I've left any loose ends there. So it was, was a real difficult decision because I really love writing about Ruth. But I felt that it was the right moment for me as a writer and for the story that this book would would certainly signal a pause. I'm not sure for how long. Um, but I've got other great ideas. Honestly, I've got ideas for a new series. I've got ideas for new standalones. We're going to see the characters from Postscript Murders again. Uh, there's going to be a book of short stories. So really, it's not the last... A couple of people have said things like, oh, I'm sorry, you're giving up writing, but absolutely the opposite. I will still, I hope, publish, you know, a book a year. Um and, you know, I've got loads of good ideas. And this is what the thing is, when I think of the new ideas, I feel really excited and I think, wow, I can't wait to do that. And I think if I wrote another Ruth book now, I wouldn't feel that excitement. So I want to feel that excitement um, because, you know, you can't write a good book without that excitement. You have to feel so engaged with it. So uh, book 15, um, The Last Remains, will be the last Ruth book for now. And can we get our pre-orders in already for that? I presume we can. You certainly can. Yes, pre-order it, bookshop.org or, or wherever you, you pre-order your books. Yes, please do. I honestly think um, you'll like it. It was possibly the most uh, stressful but the most fun Ruth book to write because so many old characters come back in so many old there are a few sort of loose ends from earlier books which I hope are all tied up in here and the ending well I hope you'll like the ending uh I can't wait and for anyone that's just thinking well if there's no if there's not going to be any more Ruth books for now you know where do I go from here I would say that don't that you are the linchpin to Ruth Ellie and so to go you know I think it's not like there's Ruth in the other books but obviously there's Ellie in all the books and I think if you like the Ruth books you will like your other books as well that's such a lovely thing to say Philippa and I do hope that that's true yes I've got a lot of books out there I think I've written 26 books as Ellie Griffith so 15 of them are Ruth, but there's also the Brighton Mysteries. There are the three standalones. So, so yes, really, um, it's a bit like a rat. You're never more than a few feet away from Nellie Griffith's book. So, and there will be more. There will definitely be more. The rat will keep writing. <laughs> well, there, there, there you go. I didn't know we'd be uh, aligning rats to, to your books, but I'll go with it. Uh, just my last question before you go on on your way you've been very busy lately and you give so much to readers to meet you at different events and you support a lot of writers how do you manage all of that as well as writing oh thank you I, I really have been busy I've had a really busy month so you've just this month I've been to um uh, um, Scotland for, for Bloody Scotland which is the name of the festival I'm not being rude and then I was in Sweden for a week and then I was doing various events the last couple and then Capital Crime and some events in London I was in, in Nor Norfolk last week so it has been a particularly busy month but um, as I said earlier I love that because I love meeting readers and it's really um, you know, it's really special to go somewhere like Sweden where they have so many of their own brilliant crime writers and find a queue of people wanting you to sign their books so that feels really special but I don't write when I'm on the road so um 
it's it's a question of coming back home to, to do the writing. So towards the end, I'm a little bit twitchy about wanting to get back and want, want to start writing. But I do have ideas. I have a notebook. And I was telling this to, to a lovely Swedish friend called Elena um, when I was uh, at Gothenburg, at the Gothenburg Book Festival. And like all Swedish people, she's super fluent. So we we're having a lovely chat. And she said, well, the thing is, writing isn't typing. And I thought, what a great thing to say. And I shouldn't think that while I'm on the road, not writing, that I'm not working because I am getting ideas. And when I get home, hopefully the ideas flow. So um, that's kind of how I balance it. When I'm away, I'm thinking, making notes. When I'm back in the writing shed, no music, no food. I'm writing. <laughs> Starved but silent. Well, Starved but silent. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, it's just lovely to talk to you again and just uh, can't wait to hear about everyone reading Bleeding Heart Yard. Ellie Griffiths, thank you so very much. Thank you, Philippa, and thank you for all your support. You're terrific and I love your podcast. (laughs) Thank you. Coming up, more book reviews and another interview. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So what we're going to do now is zip through the other books and then get on to the board game interview that I think you're going to find very interesting. The next book, Sundial by Katrina Ward. Now, if you have read The the Last House on Needless Street, which I absolutely loved, you will know the sort of flavour of books that Katrina writes. And I would say that her next one, Sundial, is is a further level. So if you found Last House on Needless Street unsettling, you're going to find this one even more unsettling. It's a brilliant book. It kept me reading, but my eyebrows were very high all the the time. And it's one of those that you think you know you've got a grip on on the perception of the story. And yet, and yet you don't. And at the end, I just felt I needed to go and 
put my head in the freezer and cool it down because it had overheated from all the thoughts of, but I thought it was that. Oh, my goodness, is that? Do you know what I mean? Overheated brain happened here. So let's do the blurb. And if you are a huge fan of Katrina, as I'm sure you are, Yes, sadly, she can't join us today, but she's got a new book coming out in April, so she will be joining us then. And yes, the diary is booked up till April. That's when I'm um, booking a new new authors to talk to. So there's a lot of books and a lot of authors for us to get through. Anyway, let's read the blurb on this sundial. Rob fears for her daughters, for Callie, who collects tiny bones and whispers to imaginary friends, for Annie, because she fears what Callie might do to her. Rob sees a darkness in Callie, one that reminds her of the family she left behind. She decides to take Callie back to her childhood home, to Sundial, deep in the desert, and there she will have to make a terrible choice. Callie is afraid of her mother. Rob has begun to look at her strangely to tell her secrets about her past that both disturb and excite her. And Callie is beginning to wonder if only one of them will leave Sundial alive. Oh, yes. This is not a cosy crime book, I think I think it's fair to say. Rob, it's the chicken pox that makes me sure my husband is having another affair. I'm going to leave it there because what a good opening line that is. This book is sinister. It's worrying. It's got all sorts of triggers, but it's addictive, compelling. It's sort of assertive in that it just takes you in and, and you can't put it down until you've finished. It's an uncomfortable read, but it's it's brilliant. And I'm very keen to talk to Katrina about how she comes up with these quite shocking stories that are so unique. But yes, bravo. Very good indeed. So now we come on to the next book. And this one I listened to as an audio book. I know I've talked to you recently about other Anthony Horowitz books, and I'm sorry if I'm overloading you on them, but the man can write. So I'm I'm just loving the books. I haven't read his James Bond books. I don't know if I've read any of them, but I just thought the last time I listened to his book that he is so good at, you know, writing a classic story and providing, you know, ticking all the boxes that I look for that I thought I'm just going to listen to this book and I'm sure I'm going to love it. And I did. So this is one of him writing a James Bond novel. And the blurb is this. So although it's just out, it goes back in time. M's funeral, one man missing from the graveside, the traitor accused of his murder, Bond. Behind the Iron Curtain, a group of former agents want to use the British spy in an operation that will change the balance of world power. Bond is smuggled into the lion's den, but whose orders is he following? And will he obey them when the moment of truth arrives? In a mission where treachery is all around and one false move means death, James Bond must grapple with the darkest questions about himself, but not even he knows what has happened to the man he used to be. I just I enjoyed this. Let me do the first sentence. Chapter one, Dead Man's Mile. In death as in life, the Navy leaves nothing to chance. And again, I'm going to leave it there. I th I th what more can I say? It's a great story. I thoroughly enjoyed it. 
I found it very easy to listen to. It's well narrated. It's a romp. The one grumble I have is the very end. I, I, at the end, I was just like, oh, but I'm not going to say anything more. I thoroughly enjoyed the story. And I'm sorry, I'm going to be listening, reading to more Anthony Horowitz books to talk to you about because they're, they're good stories. So there we are. Bravo. Next one. This much is true by Miriam Margles. Um, Miriam, a few weeks ago, became even more well known than she already is for a very sort of famous, it's already famous interview on Radio 4. And as luck would have it, I had just picked up her autobiography from the library and I thought, well, if ever there's an opportunity to read it, it's now. So is, is there a blurb? There should be a blurb, but I can't find a blurb. But it's basically her life. I'm looking for a blurb. How does a book not have a blurb? Is it actually possible? Well, the, I suppose the blurb is this. From Blackadder to Call the Midwife, from PG Tips to Harry Potter, BAFTA-winning actress Miriam Margoyle's OBE is our favourite and naughtiest national treasure. This much is true is her extraordinary life story. I loved it. It's a hoot. It's educational. It's moving. Yes, there's a lot of information in there on things she does with bodily parts that might not suit everybody. And personally, for me, what I didn't agree with was Miriam was talking about her time in the filming of Harry Potter and there was no reference to, frankly, what I consider to be the awful approach J.K. Rowling is taking at the moment. So I, I would have that would have been the icing on the cake for me if Miriam had just put something in there about that. Uh, it was written a few years ago, but still, I think something could have been said anyway. So apart from those, it's near perfect. Yes, it's it just shows so much about her. And I've always thought she was, um, I don't know, respected, very good at her craft of acting, funny, vocal. But I see much more of what's what's made her who she is. And uh, yeah, excellent. Someone's put on it wickedly hilarious. And yeah, it, it's, it's certainly wicked in places and funny, but it's also got a serious side to it. But yeah, whether you're a fan of Miriam or not, I think you most people would in, enjoy the book. So there we go. Now we come on to the Senate magazine. And as I say, this is a, a magazine of many words. So I'm perfectly happy to talk to you about it and it's just a great magazine it's got different sections so it starts off with um, behold and it looks at the board games that are going to be coming out over the next year or so so that's always quite interesting so you've got the previews you've got the articles features and then you've got the unbox section as i say where they look at reviews how to play it and something that they call shelf of shame can i say that Shelf of Shame, tongue twister, where somebody gets a box down that they haven't played, but it's been on their shelves for a while and they play it and they see if it was any good and, you know, were they wrong to leave it there on the shelf? Is it a great game that they're going to return to or was there a reason that it stayed on the shelf? I love board games and I just, yeah, I thought it was really good. Dan Jolin is both co-founder and editor and I just thought it'd be interesting to talk to him now. 
So Dan Jolin from Senate magazine, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Oh, thank you. So so lovely to be here. I mean, you know, just uh, very nice to be invited with my uh, little magazine, although although I suppose I shouldn't call it that. I, sh- I should call it the, the world's biggest magazine, <laughs> in, in, at least it is in my head. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the world's biggest, greatest magazine that, that ever existed. Yeah, well, OK, let's start with the basics. Tell us about this magazine, how and why it got started. Okay, well, so so the magazine obviously is is Senate magazine, which, in case anyone's wondering, is named after the oldest known board game in history, which is an Egyptian game, which I think dates to around 2000 years BCE, possibly, although it's been a little while since I've read the Wikipedia entry. So, (laughs) but uh, yeah, so that's why it's called Senate. This became this, I mean, it is a passion project. It is one of those kind of like labour of love things. It originated with my co-founder, James Hunter, really. He's an amazing graphic designer who worked in, you know, newspapers and magazines, uh, the Times and the Sunday Times primarily, and a board game fan. And he kind of originated the idea he wanted to create an independent magazine about board gaming. And through some mutual acquaintances, and I don't know, whatever kind of word on the street that there might be in the publishing uh, uh, board game world, he, he was sort of directed towards me. And I am I'm a freelance writer and journalist and editorial consultant. So uh, he got in touch with me and knew that I wrote about board games, which was something I've been doing since going freelance in 2016. Previously, I was at Empire Magazine as their features editor. Uh, so I wrote about movies as well and TV. So yeah, he got in touch and we met. And it was one of those things where we kind of creatively, we instantly clicked. He showed me some of the stuff he had in mind layout wise. And I saw in it straight away a lot of potential for a magazine which could tackle a traditionally, I suppose, a very nerdy, one might say, or hobbyish, perhaps subject, which up until now has just been tackled in that way which i mean which which is fair enough because if that's who you see the audience to be and that's what they're comfortable with if they like buying you know magazines with pictures of dwarves hitting orcs with axes and or, or what have you that that's fine but i saw a potential to to maybe you know do something a little bit more ambitious do something different do something which treated board gaming perhaps in the way that a magazine like little white lies might treat movies or a magazine like Edge might treat video games, uh, in that you're taking it very seriously as an entertainment form or an art form, in a way that is also potentially a lot more accessible to people. To cut a long story, not so long, I'll get to the point, uh, we, we launched issue one on Kickstarter, because that, that that's a platform that's very popular in board gaming, so we figured it would be the right place. And we funded the first issue, but um, there's no been no more Kickstarters or there's no Patreons or anything like that. So it's now an operating business where we sell uh, the magazine to subscribers. Uh, we sell it through our own platform, through our own um, website, which is senitemagazine.com. Uh, we, ha- we are in some bricks and mortar stores, uh, both game stores and independent magazine stores. And it's, I will say, ticking along very nicely. <laughs> And you've just announced that you're going to quarterly, I believe, as well. So, yes. So we were, I think triannual is 
the right. I can't remember if triennial is 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 every three years or three times a year. I can never remember that one. But anyway, we three we were three times a year, and we have just announced that we're going quarterly. So um, yeah, I I I'm looking forward to that because I just think you know there's such a well, it's a funny thing when I sometimes when when I said to people that. Uh, uh, oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to be launching my own magazine. What's it about? It's about board games. And they were like, "Won't you run out of things to write after one issue?" You're like, you know, it's, some people, if you're not in this world, they're like Monopoly, Cluedo, Hungry Hungry Hippos. Uh, what else is there? But the reality is, it's such a vibrant and expansive industry right now. It's actually huge. New games are coming out every week. There's a deep well of things that you can talk about. So to, to have the opportunity to, to do that one more time a year for me is is, is pretty joyous. And you mentioned about how many board games there are coming out. And I wanted to talk to you about this because it, they're not one type. The range, the age ranges, the, the type of board game. I mean, it's I, I get confused because I'm just like, well, I, I want to get that one. Oh, no, I want to get that one. And it's just it's there's so many to choose from. It is. It's, it's actually. Yeah, it is. It can be a tough world to navigate if you've just landed on it um i can totally see that you could be into bird watching and there's a board game for you you could be really into steam trains there's a lot of board games about steam trains you know or maybe you're just like whatever you like lord of the rings and 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 you read fantasy books you just want to play fantasy games oh yes there's plenty of those a lot of the time you know people think well isn't it just monopoly and war but no no there is there is so much more for example that you know and, and and quite topical things so there's a game coming out next year i think called daybreak which I've just been reading about, which is about climate change. And it's a cooperative game, which means all the players work together. So everyone around the table is joining forces and they are working together to try and tackle climate change. So, you know, OK, I mean, maybe for some people that's a bit like eye roll. Oh, God, I hear about that enough in the news. But for me, that's just another example of how this entertainment slash art form slash hobby <laughs> Is, is actually, you know, reflecting the world and responding to the world and people's lives. So, so yeah, there, there is such a huge broad range. And then, of course, like you said, different ages. So there are games which are suitable for younger children or for families. And then you've got, like, your heavyweight super strategy games that you might be sat there at the table for, like, six hours utterly absorbed in lots of deep rules and mechanisms and things i it for me it's just like it's it's a giant playground and and i will be exhausted before i run to the other side of it it's great and i think i mean i want to convert more people to playing board games because i think the people that are aren't already board gamers either they equate it to that being the act of a child which it just isn't the case at all. Mm. Or they've just in their life, they've played bad board games and they don't know the fun oh. that you can have. Yeah, yeah. Well, so when I kind of, when I got into what I would like to say is modern board gaming, I guess, which, gosh, I think it was about 10 years ago now, I was astonished as well because I did previously associate most board games with just frustration. And, and I'm, I'm not even talking about the board game. There is a board game named Frustration, appropriately enough. Uh, I mean, talk about embracing the concept. But no, just things like, for example, playing games with player elimination. So, 
you know, you've gathered together, you're going to play a fun game, and then after a certain amount of time, one of you's knocked out of the game, and then another one's knocked out of the game. And the game ends up being whittled down to two people, and then one of them wins. That is not a fun way to spend time, unless it's a very quick elimination, super quick elimination. It's a very short game. Um, Or games that are overly dependent upon luck because they just become frustrating because you don't really feel any agency with what's happening. You're just rolling some dice. I end up, you know, like Snakes and Ladders is a good example of this. Like you really, you're just rolling dice and seeing where you end up. And, uh, and that has no engagement for me. But but I discovered that, you, that there's this whole new world of games where modern designers have applied, you know, that these all these kind of new rules of game making. So for example, games which keep everybody in the game all the way to the end and you might not even be sure of who's won when the game ends. You know, you'll kind of like the game will finish and now you tally the points. You might have a, you know, you might think that this person's done it, but maybe this other player has pulled off this sort of secret strategy that they then reveal and they've run away with it. And suddenly at the end, so you're kind of like, it's like a dramatic climax. You know, everyone's involved and in it to the end. Uh, another thing as well are games that kind of keep everyone engaged even when it's not their turn so you're kind of interested by what's happening or there might be something that you can do when it's not your turn and so I've become quite evangelical through discovering these games myself and going no this is absolutely a wonderful way to spend a few hours with friends or even strangers you know um to 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 wait to meet people but 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 to really spend time with people and it's social you're in the room you're facing those people I mean, it's obviously very different to book reading. And yet I do think there's a correlation and I'm generalising with book readers and Mm. board game players. You know, I read a book to to escape, to take me out of out of the life, to out of what's going on in the world, to experience something, whether it's adventure or it's something fantasy, sci fi, all these sorts of things. And the friends that I have that are strong book readers are also into board game playing i don't know am i have i completely made this up no i think i think that's a that's a very valid venn diagram i think um and i'm I'm certainly in you know in the middle of that venn diagram myself i a hundred percent i mean my issue that i do have with a lot of games is that i get them and the instructions are so much for my brain just to take in i want a game that i can at my stage in playing board games, just start playing and not have to get a degree in this board game before I start. And I suppose that's my one issue that I keep coming across the instruction books that are too thick for me to deal with in that one instance. I totally hear you. Yes, yes. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I do read rule books as bedtime reading quite a lot so um you know i'm i i'm right. i'm i'm okay i'm okay with it but i totally understand that and and also usually i'm the person who's in the position of teaching the game and i see i can just tell the point where people's eyes glaze over and so someone will say can we just start playing now and i'm like honestly i've just got one more thing you need to know this before you start <laughs> playing but the best way to learn is to know someone like me and then, you know, you've got someone who does that, that, that legwork for you. But there is, and again, as I say, this is a much bigger world than I think a lot of people realise. You can go online. There are so many. I'm talking dozens, poss- possibly hundreds of people online, you know, that you on YouTube or whatever, who will do, who will teach you games. You're like, you know, you would just literally Google the game, 
learn to play insight you know insert game title here and you will come up with a bump 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 on you know on google of loads of different people so you know some better than others but usually they're all good who can boil it down quickly for you and and talk you through it so they would be the equivalent of the friend who always teaches the game and a lot of board game publishers are very aware of that so most modern board games with the rule book there'll be a qr code or something like that that you just zap and it will take you straight to someone who will teach you the game via video there are also now more games that are coming out which actually come with the kind of tutorials like they actually literally you can open the box and they'll say start playing right away and they'll tell you what to set up and you're almost like you can read through you can just like you know little points saying now do this why am i doing this because of this and there are also games which take place over a, like a campaign or take place over time so they're, they're a game that you'll play in installments a lot of them are narrative games but there yeah, and and as the game progresses you learn more rules as you need to so the first time you play it you could literally play the game straight out of the box with a very simple rule set and at the end of the game things have changed slightly and then new rules are introduced there are fewer obstacles than ever to the, the fear of the rule book <laughs> and how would we get how would we find some of those newer ones what are the the i mean i am going to ask you for some recommendations i'm afraid but okay just particularly on that that you've mentioned where you can maybe it is a it, there's some complex layers to it but you don't feel that because you open the box yeah. and you can start you i don't need to be a member of mensa before i play it yeah yeah so i mean I just, to give you two specific examples there's a great one called the adventures of robin hood which is which only came out i think last year uh and that's a bit of a story you know like you're playing robin hood little john maid marian will scarlet you're all working together obviously in in you're in nottingham and and each time you play the game, it's a different like chapter in a book almost. And that is genuinely a game where you can just you just open the box and it tells you just get. I think I think it just says just. I think all the components come in like a bag, and it just says tip them out onto the table, grab this bit, grab this bit. Do you know what I mean? It's like really, it's so straightforward. It's love, and it's a lovely game. It works really well, um, and. Um, as I say, it plays in chapters, so it's kind of nice if you play with the same people over and over again. So it works really nicely for a family. Uh, um, you know, if you've got kids that might get into it and they say, oh, how can we play the next chapter next week or something like that? Uh, and, and another one like that is called, it's called Charterstone, which is, um, it's not, not a cooperative game like Robin Hood, but it's a game where you're playing against each other. And, and that's a really interesting game. It's, it's, it's a new genre of game called Legacy Games, where the game changes each time you play. So you will be literally putting stickers on the board. You know, so you will actually be creating your own board. So every time you come back to the game, you're coming back to each of you, like you're building a village. And so your village will, you know, change when you're sort of putting these stickers on. Or actually, you're putting stickers onto these tiles, which you then put on the board. So they're your buildings going into the village. So you come back, your village is different from how it was before. And, and that both eases you into the game, new rules appear later, and, and also tells a story over time. And you can... The disadvantage with that kind of game is... You like once it's done, it's done. You've got a game there that you can carry on playing, but it, it would literally just be the game that you've all created together. But you, if you buy a recharge pack, 
you can reset it and start all over again. But anyway, those are just two very specific examples of games which do that. But they're rarer. Most usual scenario is open the rule book, think, I can't be bothered with this. Here's a, here's a URL. I'll pop online and this, you know, friendly friendly guy from you know whatever watch it played or or, or, or you know dice tower or wherever will 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 give me a quick teach um that's 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 the best most usual way you'll do it those sound fantastic okay let's just ask you then first of all for some board recommendations for the simplest games not i mean i know we've talked about the ones where you can start straight away yeah. but your abs absolute starting luddite hmm. What what do we do? Ones that are out like new games as well, so n- not Ticket to Ride or any of those. Oh, I was about to say Ticket to Ride. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, well, that's fine. I've got others. I've got others, but that's where I usually start with people because yeah. there's a something fresher. Yeah, something, something new. fresher than t- Ticket to Ride. Okay. Uh, in that case, there is an amazing game. It's the game of the year at the big awards in Germany. Uh, it's called Cascadia, and there is nobody, literally nobody I have shown this game to from my um, nine-year-old nephew to my mother-in-law who said, I don't really like board games, to just 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 anybody who hasn't played it and gone, I really enjoyed that. And so it's it's a game with a nature theme northwest coast of north america you know of going up into canada you've got little tiles like little hexagonal tiles each of you is using them to to basically build a landscape right you're you're creating habitats of mountainous regions lakes prairies different different they all sort of fit together with little like drawings of, of the landscape on them but onto these you're putting little counters which have animals on them so bear elk salmon and hawks. I don't think I'm missing an animal. Oh, foxes. Foxes. I always forget the foxes. Depending on which version of the game you're playing, but you, there's a, there's an easy starter version. There's even a super easy version for children, which I've never bothered with because I find children, young children, even cope with the regular version of the game. But anyway, uh, and they will ask you to arrange those animals in certain configurations. So, for example, you might just you need might need elk in a straight line, right? But they can only go on certain habitats. And if you get them in a straight line, you score points and you score more points for the more you get in a straight line. But then because you're doing that, that means you might not be able to focus on what the foxes do or what the bears doing, because the bears need to be in pairs. And maybe you split the bears up by putting these elk through. So it's a kind of a little bit of a puzzle. But anyway, it's 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 so there's no central board that you're playing on. Everyone's got their own space in front of them and they're creating their own landscape and they're putting their animals on and uh it's absolutely lovely. There's, it's not, there's no really nasty competitiveness to it. It's more friendly competitiveness of like who can create the best thing rather than doing what we call take that mechanisms. Like we like ha, take that, you know, I've got you. You know, the, but the worst thing you can do is pick up something else that somebody wants. You know, like oh my god, I really wanted that combination of fox and riverland. But yeah, so so that's absolutely lovely. And it's a nice gentle theme. So, you know, you don't have to worry about, you know, whatever, teaching your children about war or whatever. Um, and I'm going to think, think of, an, of, of another one. 
Are you aware of, I don't know if you would count this one as too old, but there's there's a great game called Codenames. Do you know it? No, go on, tell me. This is an older game. This is this is like ten, I think ten okay. years, something like that. Anyway, and it's more of a party game. So basically, if you've got if you've got you know big family gathering or lots of friends around, it's ideal for that. It's one of those ones you split into two teams, so that each team can be of any size. And it's a word game, ostensibly. You've kind of like each team has like um, a code master, whatever it's called. And the, the the loose theme of it is you're trying to uncover your spies out in the field with without uncovering with without helping your other team uncover their spies right and each spy is basically got a word you know it's hidden by a certain code name certain word so so the code masters their job is they know on this grid in front of you they know where their spies are hidden um and they know where the other side spies are hidden uh but what they're trying to do is they're trying to before the other team does it get their team to guess where all their spies are without guessing any of the other teams. Because if you guess any of the other teams, then it counts towards their score. So, so say, you know, say you're trying to get them, so say you're trying to get them to guess two at the same time. And uh, one of them, the word on it is tree. And the other one, the word on it is, oh gosh, leaf or whatever. And you've got, you can only say one word. So you might say forest, right? So they would go, oh, it's got to be tree and it's got to be leaf. But then what if there's another one and it's got on it um, Sherwood or something? I don't know. But, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, so you wouldn't want them to then go for that one because then it would be the other. T- so it's, it's, it's very simple, but you could you could just play that for hours, um, you know, best of three rounds or whatever. And, and it's just a lovely, great party game. And just to bring it back to the, to the magazine, which is course why we're here today you do you're very sort of forgiving in the magazine yes there are some more technical articles but also uh, myself as more of a novice uh, there's lots of board games that I think there's a section you have called unboxed where you're looking yeah. at all the board games that are coming out and giving you ideas of how long it takes to play a game so I do yeah. think you're catering for a wide audience is that is that what you're aiming for? Oh, thank you. That was 100% uh, what we're aiming for. I, I just think inclusivity, I think, is so important. Well, with anything, with anything at all, in all of culture. But but in board games, I, I, it's just the idea of... It's just, it's just horrible. The idea of someone who might want to play but feel that it's not for them or feel left out or just feel... You know, they're like not not welcomed. To me, there's nothing more welcoming than a table with a board game on it. That should be like anyone should be allowed to sit down at that table with you. You'll never meet a a, a, a friendlier, lovelier bunch of people than the people I've met over the years through through a shared love of board games. So yeah, so 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 you know, we we when we launched, we said that Senate was about. I mean, forgive the alliteration, but Senate was about the craft creativity and community of board gaming um and that third word is really important to me it it does feel like a community and it just feels like a big huge lovely community so so yes i mean and and the design of the magazine as well james does a fantastic job i think he's a genius of making it feel like anyone wants to pick it up and read it you know people will will just stop and go ooh, you know like oh what's that and pick it up and look through it board games you know kind of but it's 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 yeah it's just such a 
you know, we, we want it to be high quality, we want it to be a premium product, but also we want it to be just something that anyone would love to hold in their hands and look through and infuse, you know, and, and if, if someone reads Senet that wasn't didn't really consider themselves to be into board games and then went out and bought a board game and then played it with friends and had a great time, I mean, I'm just, you know, I feel like maybe I've... I've earned my place on this planet in a very small way. Oh, no, that's wonderful. Well, I just look forward to, you know, people getting the magazine and reading it and, and getting into board games because I could talk to you all all day, Dan, about the, the range of games, but it's just been fascinating. Thank you for your time and thank you for coming on the podcast. No worries. Thanks. It's been a real pleasure. Cheers. So to find out more, I mean, it sounds like I'm on a... I'm being subbed here and I'm not being sponsored to tell you this at all. I just, I love board games. I'm really getting into board games and I like the magazine. So I just wanted to tell you about it. Anyway, if you go to their website, Senate Magazine, that's S-E-N-E-T, senatemagazine.com, you can subscribe there and it's £28 for four copies a year and that includes postage. Um, currently I'm looking at it and it says it's three copies a year, £21, but that's going to change at the very beginning of November to four copies. So there you go. That's that's a lot. I need to send you on your way because we've got some great books next week. Great authors. Can't wait. Just look after yourselves and I'll see you very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.